Episode 1 La Pointe des Fous, 2017 On this promontory where Vinny was murdered, five tourists are ostensibly taking photos of a streaky sky, toothy rocks and agitated sea. In reality, they're only photographing themselves, documenting their presence in Biarritz. They know nothing of Vinny. Why should they? Thirty-four years have passed since his death. Perhaps I'm the only person who remembers him. Certainly I'm the only one to make a pilgrimage in his name. How Biarritz has changed. Run down and ragged when I lived here, the promoters, decorators and architects have since taken things in hand and destroying monuments, manors, exotic parks. They've created featureless apartments for retirees, sterile hotels for tourists who demand an internet connection. Or perhaps I'm the one at fault, always out of step with contemporary taste, contemporary aspirations, contemporary conversation, and contemporary behaviour. I have no reason to remain. This is merely a trip down memory lane. And it's a pleasant enough town, despite the modern ravages. The air is rich with the odours of southern vegetation and damp salt. And minus the holiday crowd, the seafront is elegant. Yet when I lived here, I thought it a sad, sullen place. But I was a different person back then, a desperate creature fleeing Dominique's exactions, a lonely woman spending days in cafes, noting down the conversations of others and the dull details of my own eventless life. I was a dreamer, waiting for perfect love, and like Vinnie, I was an easy victim, scrabbling into other people's lives and believing their lies. 1983. Friday, July the 1st. Early this morning, in the spinach-green nowhere between Rennes and Redon, a scrawny priest entered the train compartment. Unabashedly, he inspected the three of us with beady insect eyes. Anyone could see he was itching for conversation. But the two youngish men and I sat as we'd done from the outset, not looking at each other except furtively, and certainly not speaking. Our behaviour wasn't the priest's taste. I'm on my way to Saint-Jean-de-Brienne, he announced, to perform an exorcism. Then, leaning back, he waited to see what effect his declaration would have. Long bored by the view of monotonous vegetation, punctuated by ugly cement villas, I was grateful for the unconventional offering, and sucked in. Really? An exorcism? It was a very timid effort on my part, but I was afraid that avidity would frighten that anachronistic man. Yes, it's a definite case of sorcery. Someone is trying to destroy the family. Their vegetable patch has been smeared with blood. An animal heart pierced with nails was found in an abandoned tool shed. There have been three car accidents, a fire, and a serious illness. The chickens are dying, four cows are sick. Pleased at this unconventional prospect of employment, his eyes sparkled. I am a specialist in the field, but even for me... This exorcism won't be easy. At his feet sat a battered suitcase. What did it contain? Holy salt, vials of holy water, a magic wand, charms to fight evil, a book of incantations, a juju? 
I know witchcraft is still practised in the French countryside, but do I believe in such hocus-pocus? Doesn't superstition only creep in when you feel you've lost control of your destiny? The man sitting on my right, a dull-faced traveller, gave a snort of derision. The priest turned to him with delight. Aha! A sceptic! I'm an engineer, a man of science. For me, magic, sorcery, and exorcisms are nonsense. Conclusively, and snail-like, he withdrew into his magazine, leaving a disapproving mouth to announce he'd fallen into bad company. The priest twitched his head in the direction of the third passenger. And you, monsieur? Are you also an unbeliever? But that colourless young man with heavy spectacles only looked confused. Perhaps he hasn't yet encountered the vagaries of the evil eye. Do tell me more, I chirped from my corner. It was details I wanted, lurid ones to confirm the tales I've heard in Brittany. Bewitched cows, books of magic that are impossible to burn, the vengeance of neighbours, tales of greed, hate and death. The fate of those worse off than I am. But the priest ignored my request. Instead, he began telling a long, dull tale of his own illness, the trip to Italy to meet a nun who had visions and whose hands emitted electric shocks. And here I am, twenty years later, fit as a fiddle. Now what do you unbelievers have to say? There was no time for them to answer. With a fatigued groan, the train pulled into Redon, and the priest shimmered off into the steamy afternoon with his box of tricks. Jenny and I changed trains, boarded the one going to Bordeaux. It was filled with rowdy young marines on their way to port. As usual, Jenny was an excuse for conversation. Nice dog. Yes. Nice owner. You're not French, right? No, not French. English? No, Canadian. Oh, you mean Quebec? No, Ontario. There's more to Canada than just Quebec. One particularly unappealing youth was most insistent. I'll be in Biarritz next week on leave. I'll take you out. His face was unpleasant. His lower lips sagged, fleshy and wet, and he masticated chewing gum with broken front teeth, flipping the wad over, sucking it in, pushing it out. We'll go to a disco. You like discos, right? No, I don't. You don't like discos, so what do you like to do? This was conversation with all the delight of a stroll through sinking sand. Then a new, certain voice inserted itself into the conversation. I'll bet the lady reads books. An Oriental, an officer, a man who thought himself as a lady killer, eased into the seat beside mine. You're an intellectual. Is that what you are? Where are you from? I asked warding off his intense glow with tea-party chit-chat. From? From. I detect an accent. There was a very long pause. Tahiti, he said, finally. Tahiti, how nice. What's it like? There was another almost eternal pause. Evidently, he wasn't fond of small talk. Maintaining intense eye contact, he moved his right arm to meet my left, rubbed his thigh against mine. I stood, grabbed my bag, pulled Jenny to her feet, and escaped to the cafeteria wagon.
I have no patience for people who will ruin my pleasure. I've abandoned Wren, a city I've always hated. I've escaped the horrible, devastating relationship with Dominique. I've packed up, burnt my bridges behind me, wiped the slate clean. From now on, nothing will go wrong. I'm starting, once again, a new life. Here's how my future in Beeritz will look. I'll sit in busy cafes talking to amused friends. I'll stand by the stormy sea, my hair streaming out behind me. I'll laugh at the witty words of a desirable stranger. My fingers will slide over a beautiful man's rough cheek. And I'll see my own image, lovely, soft, reflected in his eyes. This is a new town for me, and there will be new love and new life. On the last train, the one from Bordeaux to Biarritz, I sat opposite a rusty-haired, much younger man. At his feet was a large artist's portfolio, and he shifted it to give Jenny more room, then patted her on the head. Hello, old dog. She's around thirteen now, I said. I'm not opposed to all conversation. It's just the lubricious and stupid I wish to avoid. How far are you travelling? To Biarritz. For a holiday? No, I'm going to live there. I relished the peace, freedom and happiness those words conjured up. And you? He sighed. It's complicated. Then he turned his gaze to the window and the frazzled vegetation of a too hot summer. I'm going back to Biarritz to see my ex-girlfriend, also to set someone straight and take care of unfinished business. I wondered about the setting someone straight, the unfinished business, but I didn't want to pry. Instead, I waved at the portfolio. Are you an artist? He looked at me again and smiled confidently. I like to think I am, a man who took his talent seriously. What sort of work do you do? I'll show you. Bending down, he undid the portfolio's black ribbons and began pulling out pastels one after another. All were seascapes with billowing clouds, rugged cliffs, and glimmering waves. Pastel was certainly the right medium for them, and he had a fine hand. There was light and a suggestion of movement. But the work was disappointing. There was no invention. It was too conventional. Now he was waiting for my praise. Lovely technique, wonderful transparency, I said but I was uncomfortable, for I sensed how much more he wanted. Do you always do seascapes? Not always. He slid out a few portraits, an older man, a market seller, a fisherman with his nets, a pretty but bland blonde woman with large brown eyes. All were well executed. All lacked originality. Do you show your work? Only in group shows so far. I'd like to work with a gallery, though. There's one in Biarritz, La Maison Bleue. Perhaps they'll let me hang my things in there. Good luck. Actually, I have an advantage, he grinned. I know one of the gallery owners. Well, that should help. I'll find out. But he didn't look worried. He returned the pastels to the carton, tied the ribbons. If he had been disappointed by my lack of enthusiasm, he didn't show it. Instead, he asked if I knew Biarritz well. I've never been there. Ah, how can you decide to live in a place you don't know? 
That's part of the fun. I was unwilling to roll out my dicey, complicated story to a complete stranger, so I tried to sound insouciant. Do you have a job waiting for you? Actually, I'm an artist too, a photographer. I have four major exhibitions in Brittany next winter. The work's been completed, so it's just a question of waiting for time to pass. That's quite a coincidence, he said with sincere enthusiasm. Two creative people meeting on a train. You should also go to La Maison Bleue. Perhaps they'll take your work or put you in touch with other artists in the area. Sounds like a good idea. And a way of meeting people, interesting people, the ones who will populate my new life. If you want, I'll introduce you. I'll be in Biarritz until September. And after that? After that, I'm moving to Bordeaux. I've just landed a permanent job teaching art there. He looked very pleased about it. Why don't you give me your phone number and I'll call you. We'll go to the gallery together. I've rented a furnished apartment and I have no phone, but here's where you can find me. I scrabbled through my purse, found paper and pen, wrote down my name and new address. He looked at the paper. Great location, only a few streets away from where I live. We'll get together in the next few days, I promise. He stopped, his face suddenly sullen. Just as soon as I get things straightened out. I don't even know your name. The smile returned. Vinny. It was the name I'd seen at the bottom right-hand corner of the pastels. Is that your first or last name? Both. Makes life easier. Or more complicated, I thought. But why argue? Bayonne was behind us, and we were passing the banal buildings of Biarritz's straggle end, glancing into back gardens and the intimacy of strangers. Clothes lines, barbecues, discarded sofas, swings, ruined cars, jerry-built garages. Finney was standing long before the train came to a halt. You need help with your bag? No, go on ahead. I'll take my time. Wait till everyone else gets off. It's awkward pushing through a crowd with an old dog. This was only an excuse. I knew Marie-Madeleine was meeting me at the station and leaving the train in the company of a very pretty young man wouldn't give the right impression. See you soon, then. Finney slung the straps of his blue backpack over his shoulders, picked up the portfolio, then added rather shyly, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. With a wave, he pushed towards the door. I waited for the crowd to thin before moving forward. And right at the corridor's end, I saw Tahiti. He had pressed a complacent blonde against a door marked toilet, and she was worrying his earlobe with a sweetly pink tongue. Catching sight of me, he threw me a sneer of triumph over her shoulder. Squat, pink Marie-Madeleine was waiting on the quay. Since I was the only woman to descend with a fat, yellow dog, I was easy to spot. Did you have a nice journey? The question was a formality. Not waiting for an answer, she bustled me towards the car. The dog has to sit on the floor. I'm very careful with my car seats. Make certain she behaves herself in the apartment, please. Of course, it's only a very basic place, no luxury. But I told you that on the phone, didn't I? It's only meant to be a holiday rental, not a permanent residence. 
This last was definitely an accusation. It's not luxury I'm looking for, I said, and smiled at her. I want her to like me. I want everyone to like me. But Marie-Madeleine didn't smile back. Deeply religious, she knows God is on her side. The rest of us are superfluous. We're driving the long way around to the house so you can see how beautiful Biarritz is, she said, as we rode through a nondescript urban landscape. Tell me, when is Dominique returning from Mexico? I haven't the faintest idea. Why did she ask me about Dominique? We aren't together anymore. I had made that perfectly clear to her on the phone. And now that the relationship is over, surely she can't expect me to be cute and chatty about him. Anyway, Marie-Madeleine always knows what her precious nephew's movements are. She's never needed an informant. He's such an intrepid traveller, isn't he? He always has been. I suppose he takes after me, even though I didn't raise him. And now he's in Mexico. I was aching to contradict and jeer, to point out that Dominique, terrified of being alone, was at best an intrepid souvenir collector. But I kept my mouth shut. Mary Madeleine wasn't interested in the negative things I had to say. Was she interested in me or in my opinions? Of course not. And he's such a good photographer, she continued. He gets that from me, you know. When I'm with our church group, I'm the one who always has a camera. And when we get home, everyone wants to see the photos I take. They never stop teasing me either. We think you even sleep with that camera, they all say. I bet Dominique comes home with hundreds of travel photos to show you. Those hundreds of photos, I can imagine them all. Dominique excels as a photographer of the banal. Will I ever forget those tedious evenings, watching slide after slide? An old woman's hand, stone well, street markets, dirty face, grinning children, carrying home the alive, upside-down lunch chicken overburdened donkeys and dour men on camels. And all the while, Dominique's electric drill voice niggling away, fishing for compliments. This is a good photo, isn't it? You have to admit it's good. Why don't you say something? You're the professional photographer, after all. Look at the wall, the way I've positioned it in the photo. I have an eye for perspective, you must agree. Or perhaps you think I shouldn't enter your domain. But sitting in Mary Madeline's car, I kept my mouth shut. What choice did I have? I was here to rent Mary Madeline's cheap, furnished apartment. An apartment far from Wren and Dominique. An apartment without a lease, without first and last month's rent. So what if she adores her nephew? I'll never have to see him again. Here we are. Marie-Madeleine parked the car and pointed to a brown and white building that probably started life as a one-family home. You're on the ground floor. The front door opens into a long hallway. Halfway down is the living room, kitchenette, dining room. At the very end are the bedroom and bathroom. All the rooms are stuffed with cheap furniture, rejects from the 1950s. The dog won't destroy the decor, will she? the decor. Oh, there's decor galore, especially in the main room. 
under a large crucifix, a bust of Charles de Gaulle sits pretty on a shelf. Two gold-framed pictures ornament the walls. In one, a fawn gazes at pink mountains across a baby blue lake. In the other, a mini-skirted hydrocephalic girl with monstrous eyes oozes tears. On a credenza, long-deceased flowers in a black funereal urn beg for the compost heap. Adorning a coffee table, the Virgin Mary floats on a plastic cloud with praying children and lambs at her feet. What do you think? Just what I'm looking for. Marie-Madeleine, incapable of irony, would never recognize it. She barreled over to the kitchenette and vigorously began demonstrating its little mysteries, how to plug in the refrigerator, turn on the grill, and heat the stove. To the left is off, you'll remember that, as if such appliances could be a mystery to anyone born in the 20th century. Then came rubbish disposal. Everything goes into these black plastic sacks. Here they are under the sink. Use these sacks only and put them outside on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Last month, some Germans rented the apartment behind this one, and they put their sacks out any old day of the week, Tuesdays, Thursdays. It was shameful. She paused, searched my face for sympathetic indignation. Perhaps they didn't understand much French, I said, which was the wrong tactic to take. Marie-Madeleine was visibly exasperated. You'll make certain the dog doesn't do her business in the courtyard. Of course, it would distress the other tenants. One must think of others. She was now treating me like a recalcitrant child. Yes, of course. And you won't forget about the rubbish Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. She looked grim, as if only now she was registering that I too am foreign, a Canadian, more foreign than Germans even. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I tapped my skull with a forefinger just to show the hymn had penetrated. I've marked all this down on a piece of paper and pinned it up, just in case you forget. Briskly, she swung open a cupboard. Here it is, in with the drinking glasses. Now nothing can go wrong. Let's hope not. We stood there, stupidly silent at last. Yet she seemed loath to depart. You'd like me to tell you about the shops, of course. Not really. I prefer discovering things on my own. On the main street, turn right, you'll find a baker. Not as good as the baker on the left, but closer. There's a good butcher next door, and a hundred metres further, there's a supermarket. You can buy excellent frozen meals there. Chicken, lamb, hamburger, steak, all with vegetables included. Should I write this down too? Don't. I won't be doing much cooking. There was another tense silence. But if you aren't going to cook, what will you do here? What I meant was I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I live on salads mostly. Oh, suspiciously, will you be all right? Of course, this place is just perfect for me. It's rather primitive. Primitive? Absolutely not. We weren't, after all, referring to the artifacts. Please don't worry. I'll tell you what. She was still leery. You know I'm quite a traveller, and a photographer too, but I'm sure Dominique has told you all about that. Well, last year I went with our church group to the Holy Land, and we saw all the sacred places. Very inspiring it was too. This year we're off to Singapore. 
although that's not really the same thing. If you'd like, you can come to my apartment one evening and see slides of Bethlehem, Nazareth, and Jerusalem. We can have dinner. That would be very nice. I smiled brightly, poked my head forward to indicate this would be the evening of my dreams. This agreed upon, Mary Madeleine, to my great relief, left. Alone. Finally. I pulled this lovely new orange-covered diary out of my bag, opened it to page one, uncapped my new pen, and noted down all of today's seemingly insignificant events. One day, perhaps in the very near future, I will peruse these notes with pleasure, when I'm secure in love, in my own home, in happiness. It's late. The night streets are silent, and Jenny is sound asleep in one corner. I've pulled out my tarot cards, set them out on the table. Nothing bad on the horizon, they tell me. Nothing exceptional, either. But a smooth passage, for the time being. Saturday, July the 2nd. In Biarritz, street names conjure up the famous, now largely forgotten, Royal Dead. Avenue de l'Imperatrice, Avenue de la Reine Victoria, Avenue de la Reine Natalie, Rue Albert I, Avenue Edward V, Rue du Prince Imperial. By ten in the morning, all were hot and clotted with shimmering cars that roared with frustration. The holiday crowd irritated mothers, exasperated fathers, cranky brats, wailing toddlers in prams, oozed amoeba-like along sun-roasted sidewalks, or sweated motionlessly in front of boutique doors. I wondered what they were doing at first. Then I found out. The morning sea breeze was too strong for sunbathing, so it was time for shopping. And because stores were already packed full, everyone had to wait their turn before shoving inside and purchasing. And this morning I had an important mission. I needed to choose a café, my café, the one where I would begin my days. A café in the heart of town with many comings and goings, and large enough so I could sit for hours. There are many cafés, of course, but most have a flaw. Bored barmaids and waiters, high prices, blaring televisions, and cheap sports trophies. Some are too modern and ugly, others are the dingy living rooms of losers. I finally settled on this one. Its broad, open terrace opens onto the town centre, and it looks elegant enough to attract just the right clientele. True, the fake marble-looked columns and gold-flecked mirrors are rather vulgar, and the waiters in crisp white jackets are surly. But here I am, ensconced at a little table with my pen and orange diary. An unusually hot summer, isn't it? I said to the waiter who brought me my coffee. He didn't answer, but looked around the room, watching other clients. Please pay now, he ordered coldly. Had he decided I was the sort of person who departs stealthily, leaving behind debt? Someone shady, untrustworthy, or just impoverished. Certainly this café crème is astonishingly expensive. If I'm not careful, my meagre savings will run out quickly. And with no work permit, I won't get my hands on more money until my exhibition starts. 
see my reflection in the mirror on the wall opposite, a thin, pale face, a narrow, disillusioned line of a mouth. There's no glow in my eyes. Terrible. What I need is love with its tinsel sparkle. The love waiting for me here in this town. I left the cafe and followed a row of fat hydrangeas down to the boardwalk with its two cafes, wheeled ice cream stand and bleeping electronic games hall. The morning breeze had vanished. Out on the sand, beached on straw mats or striped towels, greasy with sun cream, damp with sweat, people fought for space, feet in faces, faces in feet. All were desperate to acquire the deep tan promulgated by fashion magazines, tanning studios, and cosmetic companies. One bony couple. What an unusual dried-out colour and texture they were. Mummies? But no, I saw there was movement. The dried male moved claw-like fingers to the female's bare nipple. And slowly, oblivious to us all, pinched and rolled it round and round as if it were a soft ball of damp bread. She seemed indifferent. I continued walking. One kilometre further along, the boardwalk dribbles to an end in a large parking lot punctuated by a sign. No bathing. Here people sat motionless in their cars, doors open, or leaned against motorbikes. All were strangely lax, silent. They stared at nothing. Perhaps they were unable to find a reason for going into motion. Beyond a clutch of rubbish bins, some concrete food stands have given up the ghost. Only one, redolent of fried-out oil and bad meat, remains open. In my search for human contact of any kind, I entered the dive, perched on a stool and ordered a beer. "'Here you are,' said the man behind the bar. He had a slight accent. Quite determined to communicate with everyone and collect acquaintances, I asked him where he was from. Morocco, he answered, and smiled amiably. You live here? It's a summer job. I'm an engineering student in Paris. Do you like France? It's all right. He washed glasses. I sipped my beer, then found another question. Will you return to Morocco after your studies? I'm not sure yet. He offered no repartee, although it would have been easy enough for him to do so. I, too, have an accent. I'm also foreign. But he showed no curiosity. People only want to talk about themselves, me, myself, and I, the most fascinating subject around. He was soon called away into his stinking back kitchen. And here I am, still at the counter, drinking my beer slowly, very slowly, scribbling in this diary. The owner of the dive, a greasy man, stares out the front window, making squeaking noises through his teeth, picking at them with matchsticks. Other clients stand or sit silently, staring at things invisible, while trapped flies bash their heads senselessly against the plate glass.'